When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 144. JavaScript is the future. I'm Matt. That's Mike. And this week we'll be talking about, I mean, what what else? But what the title says, JavaScript, of course, and how it will be the future. Now, if this sounds interesting to you, because it should, because I used a little movie voice and you want to support the show, you can go and check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us on our Discord server or share this with your friends. And now, Mike, you're the one that wrote up the notes for this one. So please, sir, tell me why JavaScript is... Uh, is the future. Yeah, all right. Uh, so before we get into the why it's the future, and, and in my opinion, it is the future. Uh, not even, There's no like why or whatever, but regardless, I'll, I'll discuss why I think that. Uh, I think we just we need to get into a little bit of what is JavaScript, um, just to give a, an overview for the people maybe listening to this that haven't listened to any of our other episodes or are just getting into web development and don't know how the full like, you know, HTML, uh, CSS and JavaScript staff stack works. So what is JavaScript? It is a high level programming language, which is intended to provide functionality to web pages. That's the intention of JavaScript. It's a little bit more than that now, but I'll get into it a little bit later. But that was the intent when it was first kind of created. Um, and one another thing that I want to kind of discuss here is the high level part. So I want to discuss what the difference between high level and low level is. High level languages means that they compile down, they have like a an engine that will take the code and transcompile it into something else. And then that will be then compiled down into machine code, stuff like that. It's kind of, it kind of means that it's further away from the metal, if that makes sense. And the metal, what I'm talking about is the actual like processing unit that it's running on. So with a phone, you know, it's your Arduino um or you know ARM core processors with the with the CPUs uh, with the computer it's your like you know Intel or Ryzen processor whatever like in the code that you're writing needs to compile down to those processing units so the higher the level of the code the more it needs to compile down and the low level codes like C Rust uh, I guess C++ is kind of low level but it's kind of in between as well. Um, those languages are closer to the metal, so they need to compile less. They're written more in the sense where you're writing uh, right to the processor almost, and you're able to kind of save a little bit of memory and stuff like that. I just wanted to clear that up a little bit because I know a lot of people say high level, low level, and sometimes they don't make sense. So I want to make sure that people understand it. JavaScript, again, is a high level programming language. It can interact with the DOM which is the HTML layout part of a pay, of a web page. And it's able to, you know, do functionalities like create elements in the DOM. It's able to uh, take away elements, hide them, change them, whatever. It's able to actually directly communicate with the HTML elements, the visual layout of a web page. It can request 
process and process data from third-party sources. So that essentially means it can, you know, uh, interact with APIs. It is dynamically typed and human readable. So dynamically typed, that means that when you write a variable, you don't have to state what that variable is going to be. What I mean by that is you, when you like declare a, let's say, let uh, my name and you can make it equal whatever, like a, a string of your name or a string of nothing, or, or you can make it even equal null. So let, let my name equal null. Later on in the code, you can assign whatever the heck you want to my name. It's not necessarily even needs to be a string. You can assign a number to it. You can assign a array to it and you can assign an object to it. It doesn't matter. There's no strong declaration of what that variable has to be. That That's essentially what dynamically type means. In other languages, uh, in most other languages, in fact, except for like maybe Python and I think there's probably other dynamically type languages that I can't think of right now, but I know Python and JavaScript are definitely the two biggest. In other languages like Java and C++ and all those, uh, you actually have to declare exactly what vari the variable is going to be and then only put that information in that variable. So if you have a number like, uh, you know, int count or like a count, like, you know, a number that's supposed to increment, you actually have to declare it as an int right away. And if you try to assign a string to that int, there's going to be during compile time, there's going to be a error that pops out to you. So that's what I mean by dynamically typed. And again, it's a little bit of an aside, but going down to the core, I want to make sure that I'm reaching the people that are just starting out. That's what dynamically typed means. And human readable means it's essentially um, a person that maybe doesn't understand code should still be able to understand some of the functionality and some of the words that are, go that are going on. It uses regular words like for and if and... Um, I'm just trying to think right now. There's a lot of other like, you know, functionality words like DOM content loaded. Uh, it, it uses a lot of logical, gra grammatically correct words to describe what it's doing rather than very abs abstract concepts that are, you know, only machine readable, essentially, or someone that knows every single part of the code. Like like can play through and can yeah. play and stuff like that for media, because obviously exactly. that, that's pretty human readable, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's meant to be easier to read. That's all it is. And uh, the last thing here I have is it's mostly single threaded. And what I mean by single threaded means is that when you're running the app, an application, a JavaScript application, it's mostly and by default running on one processor core or one processor thread. Uh, a lot of the times in other languages, there's optimizations where they know some things that need to be run on different threads or can be run on different threads. So it's a little bit better performance if you're doing something very computationally intensive. Uh, but it, by default, JavaScript runs on one thread. Now, there are ways to kind of optimize that and start up different threads and run it and all that and pass information back and forth. But it's not like the inherent like description of JavaScript. It's more like an add-on that was added to JavaScript later with web workers. So having said that, let's move on to the benefits of JavaScript. So we're going to, right now we're going to be talking about the benefits, like what it does really well right now, what, what's really cool about it. And then we're going to have like another section where we talk about the future of JavaScript and uh, like what's coming, not, maybe not what's coming up, but what we're seeing right now that's, we know is going to kind of stick. That's kind of how I like to describe the future because I can't really fully predict the future, but uh, I can see what's currently there and extrapolate that to what could be. 
So with that, uh, first thing with the benefits of JavaScript is it has a V8 engine optimization, <laughs> which is kind of like a car thing, but it's not. So of the V8 uh, JavaScript engine, it was developed by Google, and it is the kind of compiler or the uh, actual code interpreter that takes your code and makes it so that the browser can do something with it. There used to be a lot of engines, actually, back in the day. And when I did some research right now, I, I'm not going to mention them because there's like a bunch of different names you don't need to know. Uh, but eventually, people kind of standardized on the V8 engine, which is Google's open source JavaScript engine. It's a Again, it's an interpreter which executes JavaScript, JavaScript code. It was open sourced by Google and written in C++. And it's now standardized across, I, th I think it's all browsers. Yeah, all browsers and... and uh, the big thing with that is now that it's standardized and it's used across everywhere, there's a huge community working on optimizing it. And that's a huge benefit because if there's one engine and there's a huge community working on optimizing it, it's just getting better and better. So in the future, we might have even better performance out of JavaScript. Like JavaScript already performs pretty well for what it is. It could get better. So that, I think, you know what, like in my opinion, V8 engine optimization is definitely a benefit. And here's another thing, too, I just wanted to mention is that as a high-level language, having these levels, these layers, if you will, be optimized is really crucial. Because if you think about something like jQuery, jQuery is running on JavaScript, JavaScript's running on this engine, this engine's running on, and it just keeps going and going and going down to the metal, as Mike kind of mentioned in the beginning, the metal meaning literally the circuit board, eventually to zeros and ones. So as you keep adding layers on, obviously your foundational layers, you'll want to be as optimized as possible. You don't want them to be slow. Otherwise, it will be the bottleneck in compiling or executing, in this case, with JavaScript, stuff like that. Yep, that's exactly it. So the, the more people working on it, the more concentration there is on that engine, uh, kind of the better it is. It's, it, it kind of does relate to a car engine, right? Like if there's like a bunch of really good mechanics working on a car engine, they can probably optimize the crap out of it. Whereas if there's like one or two beginner car mechanics working on an engine, they might screw it up. So that's the analogy with the engine, I guess. Uh, but with that, the other things, the other kind of advantage of it right now is that the new features for the language roll out pretty quickly relative to other languages. So there's a body called uh, EMCA, and they kind of proposed the changes to a thing called EMCA script. And almost every year, like there's an EMCA script 2020, there's an EMCA script, I think 2019. Um, almost every year, they kind of come together as a regulatory body and approve different, kind, different uh, additions to the JavaScript language. And when they're approved, then other browsers can take a look at how to implement them and decide to implement them or not. Now, this is where stuff can get delayed a little bit when the actual browsers themselves, like Safari and Firefox and Chrome, uh, will go in and be like, well, I'll implement this one, but I won't implement this one. And that's happened many times. Like PWA support, for instance, is still not like fully compatible with Safari for reasons that are probably only greed. But regardless, uh, for the most part, these changes eventually do trickle into all the different browsers and not only the browsers, the, the backend support too. And I'll talk about that in a second. And you're able to kind of use these crazy great new features that make coding and understanding code and uh, optimizations better. With other languages, it's kind of a longer lead time 
to get changes into it. Uh, it seems that JavaScript is a little bit quicker on it, on top of it, and uh, that's kind of like one of the advantages of JavaScript right now. Uh, another thing is cross-platform compatibility. So you're able to create a website, right? And someone on their computer can look at it. Someone on uh, like Windows can look at it. Someone on Linux can look at it in a browser. Someone on uh, Chrome for the phone can look at it or Safari for the phone. Like it's not only cross-platform in terms of cross-like device, it's actually cross-platform in terms of cross-software. Like there's not many other languages that I can think of or not many other like applications that you can write that work in different software. So the browser is the software that I'm talking about now. So you can have like Opera, Firefox, Chrome, like all those ones that I listed. You can write one piece of one piece of one website, one piece of code, and it'll work across all those by default. You don't have to do any sort of compiling, nothing. It's just written and it can work. And I think that's a huge advantage over pretty much any language out there right now. Maybe other than Flutter and Dart, but they're like an, it's a new cross-platform technology that's going to take a while to ramp up. And I don't think we'll ever kind of get to the level of JavaScript. I think it's going to have its purpose. Regardless, we're not talking about that right now. But uh, JavaScript definitely has that huge advantage. And really, for the most part, there's not much you need to do that's like native supported. And I say that in quotes, right? Like uh, native languages like Kotlin and Swift uh, for iOS and Android, um, they have their own benefits like, you know, better animations maybe and better performance. And like, you know, you have a little bit more access to the API level stuff. But for the most part, like if you're making an application that's targeting the general public, there's not many reasons why you you need to go down to the native level anymore. And that's maybe a positive or a negative, whatever, however you want to do it. But for the, like almost any functionality that you can think of can be done in the browser. So you can build an application once in the before the browser and have it run across all devices without too much hassle. And there's things you can do to actually access the, you know, the API, the hardware level API of phones and of computers and everything by doing some sort of like third party uh, compiling layer like Cordova or using uh, React Native or whatever, where you're still able to use JavaScript, but then access the APIs that you need for like, I don't know, better camera performance or turning the flashlight on and off or checking the gyroscope, whatever. There's a bunch of different things you can do on a phone uh, and you're still able to write in JavaScript. So JavaScript is extremely powerful in the sense that like, if you know JavaScript, you can do almost anything. Now, I, I have a question here, actually. So uh, I guess the, the, the dream would be that everything would run on, say, one language. Now, I don't know if this would be the dream of all developers, but sort of the dream of like organization, I suppose, is that everything would just run on one language. You write in one language and then you just sort of tweak it to the different devices like phones have flashlights and cameras and stuff like this. And, you know, computers typically don't, but they have USB ports and you know whatever, right? Like there's different devices for whatever. So obviously uh, JavaScript can, like you said, run in multiple locations, but also at the same time, it's a high level programming language. So now the reason why I bring this up is to me, and I think to others as well, although I haven't checked with the community, but to me and to others, I get this weird impression and it, and I, I think it's weird. And maybe we can clear, clarify this right now is that let's say you want to be a mobile developer, but you might have to do a little bit of website stuff in there due to your agency's needs or something. So you can 
do all of this with JavaScript. You can access the cameras and do this and do that and do this. But for some reason, I have this sort of nagging voice in the back of my head that always thinks that I'm almost, and it isn't this, but I feel as though I'm using a hack to get it to work. I feel as though I'm kind of like half-assing it, kind of, is the best way I can kind of think of it. Where I think like, you know, I'm not a mobile dev, but like I know JavaScript so I can get the job done, which is great in the moment to solve a problem. But I always feel as though if I want to make almost like legit apps, I should not use JavaScript. Now, that's, again, a personal feeling. I don't know what your take on that is, Mike. Like, if you're a person that wants to do mobile apps all the time or consistently, JavaScript is powerful in that it has mobile websites and also like so for web apps, but also for PWAs. But at the same time, the PWAs are not they're not there. They're not they're not native apps. They're not in the app store. Like there's ways to get them in there and this and that. But like it just feels to me like. It's a hack, and I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's the right feeling I should be having. And I've made an Android app for a website in the past, which is gone now, but in the past where it was in the Google Play Store and it was made with just JavaScript and it was made with Cordova and all that. But like, am I right in feeling as though it's hacky? I don't know how to really describe it. So I can I can kind of explain it a little bit because I, I have I have that feeling sometimes too. But I can I can dumb it not dumb it down, but. Um, like lay it out, basically. Lay it out, yeah. So, no, I, I don't think it's right to think that. But there are certain scenarios, and there, there's quite a few of them maybe, when you're doing camera, like if, if you're relying heavily on something like the camera, it's a good example, that's when you're kind of hacking away, in my opinion. So if you're trying to get really good quality out of your camera for your application and you're doing it in JavaScript – that's a little bit hacky. That's a temporary solution. If, on the other hand, you're just creating an application where you want someone to kind of log in and view some information and be able to post some information, there is no reason that I can see where a mobile, a native mobile app is in any way better than a uh, web, a web-based mobile app. Because you're just doing basic CRUD operations, you're doing basic data retrieval, you're doing basic UI layouts. There's no real benefit to create to creating that as a as a mobile application. Other than if you're a mobile developer and you know it a little bit, like you know the mobile languages a little bit better than JavaScript, right? And that happens all the time. I was just uh, having a Twitter conversation with someone that was going from game development into web development, so they were doing like C plus plus. C sharp, I think, and going into web development, they were having a really hard time, like with the JavaScript concepts, right? Uh, because it's just a completely different language. Like I said mm. before, it's dynamically typed. It's uh, it's functional. It's a functional language. It's not class based. Uh, there's no extend classes and stuff like that. It it is a different paradigm from those other languages. So. That's why a lot of those mobile app developers stick with their mobile app development skills because they can just do it faster there. And yeah, it's great, like good, good for them. They can they can make a nice looking app and it's nice. But I almost guarantee you that a good web developer can make an app that the general public will not be able to tell is not a native application. Like ninety nine percent of the people using the app will not be able to tell it's not a general application. It's not mm-hmm. a uh, native application. And that's all we care about, really. Now again. 
When we go into very specific things like needing access to hardware level stuff, like the camera is a really good example. The camera, camera one is the best one. If you need that, that's when you got to start looking at a, a, like a, a more native solution or a fully native solution, in fact. Now you can, like you can access the camera with JavaScript. Yes. But it's just not great is what no. you're saying. I think exactly. And that's why I said it's kind of like a temporary solution. Mm-hmm. So if you need to get like a proof of concept up and or just like a MVP and just need to see if your ideal will work. Or see if clients market, are going to use it. You don't want to like get a, a native dev. You just use your web guy to quickly use the camera thing and see like, hey, are my users going to use this? Although even that's dangerous because if it's not great. But yeah. you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like a test case almost. Exactly. It's more it's more of like a proof of concept test case than like a general public release sort of situation so yeah that's where you need to kind of go down to the down to the programming languages that allow you to access like the you know camera api level stuff where you can change and change the hdr processing and all that like it there's just so much stuff that you can access there that you can't in in javascript what's Um, the what's the mobile app uh or sorry high performance mobile app situation do you think so uh i would say that the camera isn't necessarily a high performance thing but say something like a game. I know that there's like, obviously, excuse me, phone gap uh, games, which is sort of like a branch or something of Cordova. I can't remember now. It's been a while, but um, I think it's run by Adobe or was, or I don't know the status of it, but anyway, phone gap used to sort of have examples of people publishing games. What is your thoughts on that? Cause games on mobile have been increasing in their complexity. You know, we have literally a full call of duty experience on mobile. Yeah. So those those experiences, like the big AAA uh, gaming experiences on mobile, I, I hesitate to say AAA, but it is kind of getting uh, well. There. Tri- AAA mobile, I think, yeah. is a fair way to say it. Yeah. Those are not built with built with native uh, phone technologies. Those are built on Unreal Engine, just like you would for the PC. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So regardless of that, yeah, if you want to create a highly graphical game you're not going to do it in javascript but you're also not going to do it in kotlin or uh or java or you might do it in java but you're not going to do it in uh, kotlin right like or you're not and you're not going to do it in swift you're going to do it in whatever game engine you're going to choose it's a game engine those can run natively on the phones right yeah so that's that's actually uh an interesting thing with uh dart and flutter so Dart and Flutter, again, are uh, Flutter is the cross-platform technology that Google developed that will run on pretty much anything at this point, like web, uh, phones, uh, different operating systems, macOS, Windows, whatever. It'll run on everything. And their trick is to actually use the same renderer, like Unity rendering or whatever, to render their application. So they're using like kind of like the game engine as their UI renderer. For everything, because everything supports it. So that's this is this is like a complex thing, too, because like, I mean, one of the hardest things that you and I had trouble with or had trouble dealing with, I suppose. And we've said this on the show before is, you know, we, we were looking at this is way, 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 way back in the beginning, literally the first days of us working on the web stuff and first project and we were like you know is flexbox still like viable is flexbox dead and it was i mean we didn't exactly know what to google yet or how to google it properly but we also couldn't find that answer and i find that with this stuff 
I'm equally as lost because like I understand how to Google stuff for JavaScript now, HTML, CSS, even for different uh, frameworks, React and blah, blah, blah. Like I, I could for the most part, Google stuff like that. Like I've like I wrote an article how to get started with Tailwind, you know what I mean? Or something like that or how to install Tailwind. Like I just figured all that out. But with something like what language to use, like because I'm so not versed in them, it's still such a, a, a it's still such a foreign concept to me. And the weirdest thing is, is that with it being so I'm so out of touch with it. Like, like imagine trying to choose a language now. Like right now, I would lean toward JavaScript because I'm just familiar with it. So it's like I'm leaning toward the comfort zone. Of course you are. But somebody trying to get into it and being like, you know, I have a bunch of blogs from customers that need to be, uh, you know, converted or and they need to have web apps or they need to have apps. I should say mobile apps, um, you know, made basically. And I can pull from the WordPress API or I can pull from whatever API, whatever CMS they're using, or I could do a web view or I can do there's like, you know, a whole bunch of these solutions. And somebody who, let's say, is new to web development that gets assigned this, which is which would be a crazy thing to assign a, a complete newbie to, I think, as that'd be a big undertaking. But like if the person wants to learn it or if they if they're trying to do it for their own blog, there's so many there is so many different solutions out there. And all you can really do is take the uh, marketing website of each of these different technology for their what they say in their little like testimonials and their little like we work for gaming. We work for like the little bullet points or do a significant, I would say, amount of research. And that's just to get started. And then you got to learn the damn thing. Like it. this is this is sort of where like programming to me has always been challenging because I just never know what to choose. And that's why I think like when you when we, when we were learning programming in high school, let's say something like because I asked one of our guests earlier, I can't remember which guest now, but I asked somebody like had they used Visual Basic because to me it was like basic, really like literally basic, the language basic all it, and it's an acronym, but basic Visual Basic all along the same sort of lines. They kind of they taught us programming concepts, but we didn't have the option of choosing something else. It was like teacher showed up, was like, today we're learning basic, you know, tomorrow we're doing some visual basic, learn how to use these buttons. But now it's like, oh, I'd like to put a button here. Well, do I do a button? Do I do a div? Do I do, you know what I mean? Like even within a, a language, you have all these options now and you can fall into a trap of, and and like it, you should be scared of this. You can fall into a trap of going into something that is is being antiquated that you're unaware of because you're not a part of that programming languages community yet and then if you're a person that's looking for a job and not just looking for something to work on for yourself now you might have trouble finding jobs and yes of course you should do your research in the market and all the rest of it but this is still something i'm talking like a real beginner like someone who is in a completely unrelated field to programming and decides to pick it up like it's going to be so different to them and they're going to be so out of touch that I don't even know what you would do to get started other than like a boot camp or something cuz that brings that concept to light right where it's sort of like the teacher at the boot camp says we're using react for this and then like you're just like all right and then you just kind of go move on, like move along and then that's how you do yeah so i think okay so how i think this works for the most part is when a new person, like say it's someone that's never done programming comes into it and they're looking to create 
websites, like they have a, a task to create a website, let's say, they're probably going to choose JavaScript because when they look up how to create a website, they're going to find more information on the JavaScript side of things than everything else. Now, having said that, let's say someone is like going through school and they know Python in school. And now they're like, okay, well, I want to create a web application. Uh, they might come at it from a completely different point of view and look at it from the Python side. Mm. And they might choose a Python tool to create a web application, which absolutely exists. Like you That's can create, interesting. Yeah. And so, and I think it exists for pretty much any language. Like I'm pretty sure that uh, you can create a web application with Java, for instance. I'm not sure if it's about C Sharp, but you probably can in some way, shape or form. Like it might not be good, but I think that that's like familiarity always wins in this kind of situation. Like when people are looking and they just have a time frame to do it, they're going to do it in the thing that they're most comfortable with. But in in my opinion, when they when a new person gets started with programming, they're probably going to go and look at JavaScript right away as long as it's, you know, they're they're thinking of doing uh, web development, right? That's and and you can say the, the arguable choice in what what you're going to do if you want to go into programming is very difficult and that's absolutely true like like do you do machine learning do you do a web like um mobile app development do you do uh game development like th that decision is very difficult to make and that's more i think preference and opportunity based but if they are already confirmed that okay i want to do websites then they're like i'm only, i'm going to say 90% sure that they're going to choose javascript just because like if they do look it up they're going to find way more information right away, right at the top of Google on the JavaScript side. Now, on the other side of like learning it, there's just so much information out there that it's difficult to choose how to learn it mm -hmm. totally, 100%. Like that's, it's becoming really difficult. There's a lot of really good resources for learning, but as someone that's never done it before, like if you put yourself back into that mindset, how do you know what's good and what's bad? No idea. Like absolutely no clue. And how do you know what's like a good boot camp and what's bad? You don't. So your best bet is to probably ask. Like really, like try to find a community, maybe like HTML, the things, uh, the Discord community, not to plug it, but whatever. Like it, that would be a good place to be like, hey, I'm just starting to learn. What should I do? Like where should I go? And then people will be like, oh, just take, take a look at this Udemy course or uh, take a look at this boot camp or take a look at this YouTube video. They'll direct you in a better area than what you're probably going to find yourself because it's very difficult to sift through all the crap out there. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, that was our that was our issue is because, you know, you 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 have Googling skills because you and I were in the tech field before. So you have Googling skills, but you do need to know what to look up. And we just kept finding Flexbox and we're like, well, I don't know, like is Flexbox still really used? And at the end, like right now, we would know how to check that. But back then, you know, you're we're so out of touch. Like it's such a simple concept. I realize some maybe people here listening to this right now being like, you guys are idiots. Like you guys should know. But it's like you're right, but like you're if you're listening to this, chances are you know how to Google stuff about web development. If you really don't know, like you really don't know. Like you're, you know what I mean? Like you don't know what you're doing. Um, that's kind of one of those concepts that I've always hated where, you know, the whole like sink or swim concept. I don't necessarily like I don't I'm not against or for it. I don't like it personally, but like I understand that some stuff is like, like eventually you're just going to have to go and make that app in JavaScript. You know, you're just like sink or swim. You're going to have to just do it. But I've always hated the concept of like dumping somebody into something and be like, oh, just let you know, whatever, figure it out. 
but when there's no like uh, foundation, and then if the person does it wrong, it's like, well, you did this wrong. Yeah, I did actually. You know, that's kind of expected actually because I haven't done this before. So like that's always been my pet peeve. But like now with so many technologies, it's like not only can you probably start out wrong in JavaScript. Like if you choose JavaScript, you can do it wrong. Of course, you have to learn. But you can also choose quote unquote the wrong language, if you will. And then it's this whole like snowball of you being because imagine imagine being a person that's completely in some sort of like uh, like some, I'm, the first thing I can think of is like the trades. So you're like kind of completely opposite of just working with tech all the time. That's the that's the big, best example I can think of off the top of my head. So you're like a plumber or something. So you just don't work with computers and then you decide to start working with computers and you start learning something and you find out that that thing is just not a marketable skill anymore. And you find that out a month in. I realize you're only a month in, but how discouraging that would be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I, I absolutely know what you mean. And I think like I think our biggest mistake when we were first starting out and just learn, you know, learn from our mistakes um, is we didn't reach out to enough people like we didn't attend enough informational stuff. We didn't uh, try to find a group of web developers. We didn't try to find a mentor, nothing like we just tried to do it on our own. And that, like that's our personalities and that's fine. But if if you're out there and you're just starting out, I would highly recommend trying to find someone that will is willing to answer your questions. At least that, because that's going to accelerate your like way into web development way faster than you trying to figure out on your own from scratch. Just like like Matt was saying, like we just screw around like we're doing what what, what you don't know what you don't know, and you're going to start and you're going to screw it up right away. And even if you have guidance, you're going to screw it up. But at least you're screwing it up on the right path quicker right and uh it's just one of those things that like if we had those kind of extroverted personalities we could probably have gotten into more groups and stuff like that and gotten and accelerated our development but that's just what it is so that's a fair point actually learn from our mistakes it's just it's just how it is so Mm -hmm. i'm glad that we started the development community because i think we have helped people that are just starting out get to the right path quicker like we're it might not be the best and something that i i want to get better at is providing that like one sheet or the one response to the how do i get started i haven't i I don't have that one response down yet like it's always changes for me and maybe that's a good thing maybe that's a bad thing but regardless i I need to get a better solution to that Mm -hmm. um but regardless like yeah the totally just you know, try to get out there, type in, you know, web development Slack or web development Discord into Google and try to get into somewhere where you can find someone that's willing to help you out. That's, I think, one of the more important things out there. Um, but having said that, uh, we'll move on to the next benefit here, and that is full stack support. So we were talking about just like the front end website stuff before, but with JavaScript uh, in the last, you know, decade or five years, whatever, uh, there's actually a lot of support for the backend side of things. So the, you know, API creation tools and authentication tools and uh, content management stuff on the backend where you're actually interacting with the database. And that comes in the form of Node.js. Um, and I think Deno as well. There's another, another one that was recently released or Deno. I don't know how they pronounce it. Uh, but yeah, so like as a language, you can actually write not only just the, the UI component stuff in the front end and business logic, you can write all of the back end logic as well to interact with the database, you know, perform all the different authentication stuff that you need to do all with the same language. So 
you become super valuable as an experienced JavaScript engineer to be able to build out an application from start to finish that can do pretty much everything that you need it to do. Whereas before, uh, with the with web development in particular, it used to be like front-end, JavaScript, back-end, PHP. Or Java, like there's other things, but th- th- those are the dominant two. And PHP is still dominant, it's still great, like Laravel on top of PHP is still a really good solution. But for someone just getting into the game, and for someone that has a small team, if you have like three JavaScript developers, maintaining a JavaScript backend is way easier than shifting one of your developers that's never done a different language to PHP and having them maintain it and having no redundancy with your other developers, right? Because like, if you have one guy focusing on PHP and two guys focusing on JavaScript, if that one guy goes away, you're you're kind of screwed. Whereas if you have three guys focusing on JavaScript, one guy's on the back end, two on the front end, or vice versa, two on the back end, then they can interoperably help each other. And if one guy goes away, like the other guys fill in until you find another one. Like it just, it's easier to manage in a small team environment. So it's really valuable to have that knowledge. Uh, next thing here is massive community. Like there's just a massive community of JavaScript developers. It is the number one most popular language according to GitHub and Stack Overflow. It's just, you know, the, the most popular language on there, the most stars, whatever. Uh, it's been like that for, I think, six years now or something like that, the most popular language. And it's it's continuing to grow in popularity. And it's growing in popularity because of all the stuff that I mentioned before. Like, it's just, it's a powerful tool. It's a really powerful tool. A lot of people are going to be, a lot of people are mad at it, like especially the lower level programmers and the old school programmers on Java, because it's not the same. And it has some deficiencies. But then you can turn around on them and be like, hey, your your language has deficiencies too. It's written poorly. It's like, you know, it has some weird string, uh, weird code here and there. Like there's always going to be trade-offs with anything that you choose. Some of the trade-offs with JavaScript are definitely like there's some performance trade-off that you can that, that you have if you're doing some very computationally heavy stuff because it's single-threaded inherently. There's uh, a little bit more cognitive burden on a team environment because it's not strongly typed. So it's a benefit and a curse kind of thing. Like uh, dynamically typed means you can fa- write faster and you don't have to worry about declaring your variables properly. But you know, down the line, if someone else comes to your code and they see you declare variable A, they have no idea what that variable is down the line. If you have a 3,000 line code, they have no idea what you meant by variable A. Whereas in like a strongly typed language, it can be, you know, int a and you know, okay, that one is for sure an integer. So I know that this one is associated with that, whatever. Those are kind of like the little things that uh, are, are negatives about JavaScript, but there's also tons and tons of positives that I was just mentioned. And the trade-offs are definitely worth it for someone just newly coming into the industry because again, it's only getting better. And in the next section, I'm going to talk about some of the stuff that it actually is bringing to the table to allow people to come in from those strongly typed languages and be ready to go right away. But I'll talk about that in a second. Next thing here is, or the last thing, the last benefit, in my opinion, is the low barrier to entry. So uh, compared, uh, at least for me, and this this might be personal opinion, and I might get some flack, but whatever. For me, it's a little bit easier to get started with than something like mobile app development, like Kotlin or Java or Swift, or something like uh, enterprise level application development with Java, right? Those are have a little bit more overhead. There's a little bit more you have to know rather than just the logic. Whereas with JavaScript, 
you can jump in and start writing code. It's very easily readable. There's a lot of slack it gives you with like not having to put the right spacing and not having to put semicolons at the end. Like there's a lot of slack it gives you to just screw up a lot and still have functioning code, right? And that gives a new developer a lot of ways to learn right away. And then eventually, hopefully, like this is this is the problem, a little bit of a problem, but hopefully that developer will go back and be like, okay, how do I write this properly, right? Like, how do I write this more efficiently? But initially, that's not the that's not the focus, and it shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be how do I learn to program? And I think JavaScript does a really good job at bringing the developer into that process right off the bat and teaching them how to program, teaching them like the, the logical constructs of if statements, of for loops, of uh, for each statements of while loops, everything really quickly and really easily with a lot of leeway. And then once you get better at it, you can go back and make, make your code look better and more efficient and all that. Um, and the fact that, again, that we, what we mentioned before with the massive community, looking up issues is easy. Like you just, you know, when you run into an issue, you go on Google and you look it up, it's probably going to be solved, at least at the start. There's going to be some, you know, down the line issues where you're working with 15 different integrations that are going to be tough. But when you're starting out, there's so much content out there for you that it's just easy to find good, really good content. So those are the reasons that I think like JavaScript is a really good language. I'm not saying it's like the best language out or I am saying it's, I am saying it's the best language, but I'm not like comparing it to anything else directly, really. I'm just saying for my opinion is, is the best language. Now, moving on to the future of JavaScript now, let's talk about the thing that I was just mentioning before. With people coming in from strongly typed languages like Java and going to JavaScript and be like, oh my God, like I, I don't know how to write this because now like everything can be anything and all the code that I'm going to write is going to look like crap and shit on JavaScript, shit on JavaScript, whatever. Um, there's something called TypeScript now, and it's really been adopted heavily in a lot of different projects. And what it does, and I don't, I'm, not, I, I'm not an expert in TypeScript, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. But what it does essentially is bring that strong typing and compile level error, uh, compile level error catching, and I'll talk about that in a second, to a very like loose language with the ability to kind of do both at the same time too, which is good too. So what I mean by strong typing, again, you're with, if you install TypeScript and use TypeScript, when you declare a variable, now you have to declare it as a number or you have to declare it as a string so that when someone goes back and looks at your code, they know exactly what variables you want to, what, what information you want to put in those variables right off the bat. But not only that, with other, with uh, like uh, having to declare classes and functions and constructors, which is another thing that TypeScript gives you. You're able to see what a function needs needs to take in as a parameter to actually execute properly. And it's able to detect if you're putting the wrong information into a function call and not let you build the code. And the, there's a big difference there because naturally, like in, in normal circumstances, JavaScript is actually a runtime language which means that you can have errors in your code, put it on a website, not, not detect those errors when you put it on the website, and they'll only be found when someone actually uses that whatever function that you wrote and has an error happen to them and like the screen goes red or the screen like doesn't do anything or like something, nothing happens or something bad happens or whatever. They'll only be detected at that stage. Whereas with compile time error checking, which TypeScript gives you, 
you're able to actually catch those errors before you deploy to production, for instance, with less less need for testing, essentially, is what is what it gives you. So those are the kind of the two big benefits of TypeScript. Uh, they do, it obviously puts a little bit of overhead on everything uh, because you have to learn this other new construct of, of programming. But for the most part, it's actually really beneficial. And when you're working with a large team and uh, like a large company, I think it's one of those necessities that's going to have to happen to the point where why I think it's the future of JavaScript. I think it's literally going to be built into JavaScript at some point in the future. I think it's going to get to that state where you won't be able to write JavaScript without TypeScript. Um, Now, some people might get mad at that, whatever. And I don't think it's happening this year, but I mean, next five years. Well, it's your, it's your estimate too. It's not like it's, you know what I mean. Fully like, my it, like, so, like something can change. You know what I mean. Absolutely, yeah. It's just, it's, it's just like what I'm guessing. I'm guessing is going to happen. No one's no one's said that they're building TypeScript into JavaScript, but I think like the 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 popularity that I'm seeing with it and the, what people how people are talking about it, it just seems like one of those things that's going to be that's going to show up in one of those EMCA scripts that, uh, proposals that I talked about early on in this uh, episode, and it's probably going to get accepted. So with that, next thing here is crypto and blockchain development. So traditionally with the blockchain, and I'm not, again, I'm not going to get too far into this because I will have another blockchain episode at some point because I'm doing a little bit of research on that. But right now I just want a quick overview. With the blockchain, traditionally, you're actually programming in a lower level language like C or Rust or something to write smart contracts, which is essentially just programs on the blockchain, whatever, who cares. Now to interact with the blockchain, what it is, is actually just like a JSON RPC API. And what, what people have done is created something called Web3, which is a JavaScript interface for that JSON API, which allows you to do everything that you can do in terms of interacting with the blockchain with JavaScript. So any website that you build, like a dashboard or any website that you build, like a... Um, an exchange or something that like you know has to do something like you know transact with the with the blockchain like storing information there or you know create creating an um a non-fungible token an nft whatever all that can actually be done with javascript because of the web3 protocol that they've created so you have a very big potential to be a blockchain developer even if you just know JavaScript, which is kind of a crazy concept because, again, blockchain is traditionally a very complicated thing to get into because of its like low-level uh, support. But with JavaScript, you're able to do a lot just by knowing it. And in my opinion, why I think it's the future, it's, it's in the future of JavaScript, is that it's only going to get more and more built in. There's going to be more things that you can do with JavaScript on the blockchain. And the blockchain maybe not might not be the best thing right now and might not be the future right now but in 10 15 20 years it can definitely be a very very big player not only in the financial space but in the decentralized like information space and the secure like security space and stuff like that so there's a lot of things that the blockchain can do uh and has the potential to do that in my opinion kind of makes it the future next thing here is ai and machine learning so if you didn't know Machine learning, especially, can kind of easily be done with JavaScript. Google wrote a library called TensorFlow, and it's a tensor. It's a library that runs across multiple different languages, but one of them is TensorFlow.js. And they wrote great documentation, and they have great examples and tools online 
that actually allow you to test out their JavaScript API and see how it's written and use it in any web application you want. So, you know, feed it a bunch of images, have it train on those images for certain elements that you're looking for. Like, you know, if you want to detect colors or if you want to detect patterns or shapes, all can be done with TensorFlow. And taking that learned algorithm that it develops and implementing it into your own app, like JavaScript application is actually like, I don't want to say easy. Like I, I feel bad saying easy all the time with this kind of stuff, but in terms of machine learning, it's actually fairly straightforward in terms of machine learning. Like it's still, you still need to wrap your head around it a little bit, but the fact that JavaScript allows you to use machine learning, get into it and get, get like kind of your feet wet with it and understand what's going on is a really awesome feature. And why, again, why I think it's part of the future is because machine learning is only going to be used more and more. And at this point, it's kind of become necessary for a lot of different things, right? Like if you're analyzing large sets of data and you need to get patterns out of them, that's immediately machine learning at this point. So it's just, it's just going to become synonymous, in my opinion, with web development. Next thing here is VR and AR. So this one I think is still very far out and I'm not fully convinced that this is a big application of uh, JavaScript, but... This is probably the craziest one, right? Probably, yeah. I I think it is the craziest one, but I think it is one that is realistic as well. Like it possibly could have... I mean, it's possibly going to be a big part of the future, but I have no idea when. Um, Anyway, so... Why I say that now is because there are already libraries, built-in libraries and third-party libraries that support WebVR, right? There's actually a standard called WebVR that's being built out currently, and I think it's 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 transitioning to WebVX or something like that now, whatever, um, for uh, AR support as well. And there's other libraries, like larger libraries that have already existed for a long time that are starting to... Uh, support VR, like 3.js, which is a large animation library for JavaScript, is now supporting VR objects and stuff like that and web VR and all that. So there's support being slowly put into the to the space, even though like obviously VR isn't taking off yet. Like it's not there yet. But there's stuff that's coming out that's pretty interesting, like PSVR 2. Not that that's a JavaScript thing or a web thing, but that's going to be, uh, in my opinion, one of the bigger sellers. Like, I think PlayStation VR was the number one VR headset ever sold. So PSVR 2 is an in anticipation going to be much better than that. Uh, they've already announced the specs, and it should make it a lot easier for people to get into VR because if they have a PlayStation, they can do it. So I think it's going to be a big proponent. Oculus is doing some really like, you know, affordable VR technology that's really good. So it's slowly getting better. Not there yet for like, I don't know if you want to say ready for prime time or whatever. It's not there yet, but it is it is a really interesting field. And I think if you have JavaScript knowledge, you will be able to dip your dip your toes into that field. I, I anticipate a future where there is going to be like, well, there are already is a browser in VR. Like if you have a Steam VR or whatever, there's already like kind of like a desktop experience with the browser. But at some point, you're, it's going to be common where you're going to go onto a site. It's going to detect that you're wearing a VR headset and it's going to serve you a different VR experience than a regular website. So that's something that I think is going to be the future. It's just like when I have no freaking idea. 
and well, how important here's the it is thing either. too though is with, with vr i think one of the biggest issues you we have is i think it it kind of lives and dies by how the um the platforms work because right now we have uh severe separations between oculus uh we also have psvr we also have different why well, we have different types of oculus um the oculus quest and then there's just the oculus as well like ones that rely on computer one that doesn't and these are i'm just shooting from the hip here i'm just doing this off the top of my head I, i'm not uh remembering all the headsets but we also got vive from htc and stuff like this like there's a lot of different ones and i think the biggest thing that you're gonna hit is yes a lot of games for example because vr gaming is sort of like where a lot of vr effort is going into among other areas of course but we're seeing let's say gaming which are sort of more advanced or fairly advanced uh, sort of implementations of games being put across platform. You know, you can play them on Oculus. You can play them on, I think there's a Steam VR. Is there? Is that a thing? Something. Yeah, so there there is a Steam VR headset. Yep, there's I think two of them now. I can't remember so, exactly what they're called, but. Yeah, uh, so there's like Steam VR, there's Vive. So you, you have Vive, games yeah, like, right. let's say on Steam that have you know, multiple compatibilities across the thing, but you also have different phone experiences. You have gear VR for the Samsung devices you have. And I don't, I don't know whether it works on others. It's just, that's the Samsung one for mobile devices. Uh, you also have, uh, you know, just regular, like sort of VR viewers or headset viewers, which is just sort of like uh, Google cardboard, but some of them are a little more advanced than Google cardboard, but then there's also Google cardboard. And I think what you're, what we're seeing is, is that it's a toy, Right now, like I have one of those phone ones and it works well, but it's sort of like a toy where it's like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. I've tried Vive and it's very, very, very good. I like Vive. I tried it with the room setup. I like that. I tried a very old dev kit to Oculus and that was good for a dev kit at the time. This is years ago. But again, there's nothing that makes me want to say I really, really need this. And so I think this really lives and dies by A, the platform and B, what they're giving out. Because if you really think about this, you know, it, it's it's as uh, techies and as, you know, developers, as whatever you want to say, it's interesting to try new things. You're like, oh, cool, I can make this VR thing. But a lot of the things that we say, oh, cool, let's try this are not practical or not wanted or maybe not marketed enough or maybe it's too fragmented among the platforms to get to the public. Because right now it's sort of like somebody buys a Google Cardboard. Oh, well, it's just a Google Cardboard. It's just a few bucks effectively, and that's it. But if someone buys, you know, a Gear VR, which is more money, and then only uses it like a toy, they're going to be, at least from my experience with seeing people buy stuff, they're going to be less inclined to buy something else. And so, like, imagine trying to make, like, a, a browser that works on all these different platforms, that works with all these different controllers, that some people are sitting, are connected to a computer, some people are not, and so... And I like to point out, it's not going to be easy, obviously, but is it going to be worth it? The reason why I say that is because you got all these different platforms that are separated, but you can, you know, have this cross-platform thing, like I've already said, but you have the problem of the market is mostly on a phone or on a computer. They're not really on a VR headset, I think. And so... Something like a PSVR, sure, that makes a lot of sense because like you have a PlayStation, then you then you 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 go there to play games for the most part, so then you can go and boot up your VR headset, your PSVR, and go and play on that. But the thing is, is that 
at that point, you're sort of, as far as I know, limited to the PlayStation ecosystem. So now there's another hurdle. And it's, again, this thing where it's like, Mike might have a PSVR, I have a Vive, you know, someone else has an Oculus, and some of us, you know, can all play the same game and then play multiplayer together, but some of us may not, because there's all these different different separations, or, you know, oh, this thing, this game is 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 Steam VR exclusive or something. So you're going to start getting these exclusives, and then we start getting this problem. So I think, like, AR, VR in general, or probably more VR... I think VR lives and dies by the market, how it's marketed and how these platforms work together or lack thereof. I think we're at that inflection point because I believe that VR is a niche. The reason why I believe VR is a niche is because, in my opinion, it's more relaxing to sort of, let's say you work all day and then you sit down and you just use your PlayStation or you use your Roku or whatever with a remote or a controller to turn on Netflix. Now, it's kind of cool to have Netflix in like a VR theater experience, which exists to some degree. I think there's a Netflix VR app or something for phones or something I think I saw years ago. But the point of the matter is, is that it's more cumbersome to say, or at least it's not in in the norm yet to like go, go home and, oh, I want to relax. I'll just strap this headset on me. Because imagine how many times you're, you know, bothered or like uh, called upon by family members and how many times people are trying to get a hold of you. And then you have to check your you want to check your phone while you're watching Netflix and stuff like this. And I just feel as though the the the, a, the VR stuff is niche. AR could be a little bit different. And I could see maybe JavaScript stuff hitting AR a little bit harder because it's very possible that Windows Mixed Reality might take the place of multiple desktop technologies. What I mean by that is Windows Mixed Reality could take the place of your two, three plus whatever monitors. You could have a computer, a headset, and you literally spin up digitally more monitors to do more stuff according to what you're doing. It could it could eat up your to and then it would eat your uh, your desktop speakers if you have them because they would be like little headphones plugged in and stuff like this. I, I feel as though AR might be a desktop path forward because you're already sitting there using the stuff. All you're doing is putting on a headset. So it's very possible that that might, that could take over the office space. It might actually even eventually be cheaper than buying two, three, whatever monitors for people. It's very possible. But to me, I think that obviously there's going to be innovations in AR VR and people are going to think of way more uh, applications for them. Uh, from anything from accessibility through uh, gaming, through work, through like uh, way more than I'm saying. I'm just kind of talking from someone that's seeing the market as an outsider and not like following it every day either, to be clear. But just to me, I think that it's just it's just it's an it's a niche that's divided. And so is there a market there like you're, you know, big companies like Samsung Big companies like Microsoft, something doesn't do well for a long time. They got no problem pulling the plug and then the app devs will leave. And then, you you know, now we got a problem. So I don't know, like it has a foothold. It's kind of cool. But if I'm being honest, I just don't see it without changes to how the <clears throat> excuse me, how the platforms work. I just don't personally see this thing taking off. And with that. I think in order to hit JavaScript and have like a lot of JavaScript libraries and stuff be AR VR, I think the market penetration has to be more than 
take a virtual tour of like the Colosseum in Rome on your phone's little headset viewer or like play this video game. I think that it has to become almost a productivity machine and an entertainment machine for it to really for it to really hit because here's the here's the thing. If you're a person that makes a website for somebody, you're you're you work at a web agency or maybe you own your own or you're a freelancer, it doesn't matter. And you work for someone. Now, remember remember, you know, just a few short years, not literally three years, maybe, I don't know, let's say five to ten years, whatever, probably more like ten. But, like, I'm just kind of shooting from the hip again. But the thing is, is, like, think about the time and effort you had to put into selling people the mobile version of their site. Hey, man, you should probably do a mobile version. Hey, hey, you should probably do a mobile version. Hey, you should probably do a mobile version. And some of them wouldn't do it. And then responsive design comes around and you're just like, hey, like, I'll go, like what Mike and I did was we we kind of came in when responsive design was sort of kicking off quite a bit. And we would just say to people, all our sites are just responsive by default. But, you know, if someone like really wants a honed in mobile experience, they're going to have to pay a little bit more or they're going to have to have a separate version of their site if they need something that's very, very specifically mobile, some sort of crazy web app or something, right? Like something that's really interactive and really needs a lot of changes that responsive design just can't quite get. It needs a mobile version, right? Then fine. But now think about this. Okay, that that conversation is gone away. Like the responsive conversation has gone away for the most part. Why? Because everyone knows for the most part that everyone's using their phone to access the web. So it's not even a question. It's sort of like, is this website going to work? Like the your, your, your non-technical, technically inclined clients will reach out to you and say, will this website work on a phone? Because they, they want it. They already want it. It's not you, the developer, telling them, I want this to work. It's them asking you now. Like the conversation has flipped. Obviously, every conversation is different. But in general, everyone wants responsive design. But not everyone has VR headsets. Not everyone has AR headsets. So now the conversation might be, hey, we, you know, we have this responsive website. That's really great. Or, hey, we have this mobile version of your web app and your desktop version, whatever. Um, how about that VR version? Like, can you imagine the how much you're going to charge as an agency if you're a person that works at an agency or you're a person that runs a free? Like, you're going to have to buy all this equipment, do all this stuff. And then wait a second. You're not going to just buy one. You got to buy the Oculus, the different Oculuses, like the different types. If you want to really, really test, you got to have the Steam VR. You got to have you got to have headsets. And and if you want to have uh, room interactivity where someone can walk around a room like in a Vive setup, now you got to have that. So now, you know, web development went from having a laptop and you're off to the laptop, Internet connection, you're off to the races to having three thousand dollars again, just shooting from the hip worth of equipment just to test and you might need redundant equipment because a it might break and b you might have a big team so you can't just have one person testing so you're going to go to somebody and say your site's 10 grand vr 60 like that literally might be a conversation and they're going to say well how many people use vr and what and what is the what is the the, the percentage 10 percent, and that isn't the percentage like i haven't checked but like i don't think that's 10 percent. you know like i don't even know if it's going to hit 10 percent in 10 years I don't, I, that's, that's, this is what I mean by it lives and dies. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally correct. I could be whatever, but it just, to me, it just doesn't make sense for a client to make their website 
have now a third type of version, even though the responsive design one has been morphed into the price a bit, right? Responsive design is just sort of a a way of life now. But that headset technology isn't going anywhere unless somebody takes over. Unless somebody really like, it's like Apple, Microsoft, done. If that's where where it happens, or if it's like Apple, Microsoft, and a bunch of other manufacturers, but they're all under one or two standards, then that cost can come down. Then you can buy less headsets. Then you can have less stuff to test with. But guarantee you're going to have to mark it up. Like if Mike and I were contracted right now to make a VR uh, website, the very first thing I would say is we have like I'm because I'm just honest with clients. I haven't done that before. I'm willing to look into it. That's no problem. I'm going to have to buy an X amount of dollar headset and an X amount of dollar amount of controllers. And I'm going to have to test with mouse and keyboard input as well as all these other inputs. I'm going to need about $30,000 to start Canadian. That would be my honest, my honest, like, again, shooting from the hip and having not researched it. That's what I would tell them. And I would say, you know what? I would like to research this. And then I would like to give you a formal quote because it realistically, it could be 10 grand extra. It could be 30 grand. It could be 60,000. I really don't know. But I don't think a lot of clients are going to go for even a five grand upgrade when it's under 10% usage, as far as I know, unless there's been some huge VR spike in browser usage, the browser usage that I'm unaware of. So I just that that's my two cents on AR VR. And I think that's kind of where, you know, it could live or die by that. Like JavaScript VR AR could live or die by this type of thing. Yeah. Um, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate. Uh, so the mobile, the mobile experiences are done now for the last, I think, three years or so. Uh, so Gear VR was discontinued fully and Daydream and Google Cardboard was fully discontinued. So there's a little bit less variation now, at least in the market, because why they were discontinued is just you can't have a good experience with a mobile device. Like you can have, you can understand what VR AR is. But the experience is not going to be anything but like testing, mm-hmm. right? Just because like the, the screens are just not good enough. The technology really is is not fully there yet to be a productivity machine because of that as well. So the newer devices have about 4K screens on each one, like 4K screens for each eye. And even then, when you're when you're looking at uh, like text, which is something you would do in a browser and something you would do in a productivity setting it's going to strain your eyes. So mm-hmm. looking at text reading for long periods of time isn't a really a real thing in VR or AR yet, which is the limiting factor for my in my opinion with productivity. Now, we are almost there. Again, 4K screens are now becoming mainstream in VR headsets. Once we get to about 6 to 8K, it's going to become uh good enough for long periods of reading which is where I think we need to get to to actually have less eye strain and productivity to be a big thing, which is where, again, this mass adoption would come in. Because gaming is one thing, like you said, I fully agree with you, gaming is one thing. It's not going to lead to mass adoption fully. It has to be other things. And the other thing has to, it will be like 100% the fact that you don't have to have monitors anymore. You can just have a VR headset and have as many monitors as you damn well please. Right. As soon as that becomes mainstream, as soon as that becomes non-eye strainy, as soon as you're not getting sick with the majority of people, it will hit the mainstream, in my opinion. If are we there in the next five years? I'm not sure. 
I do believe the next 10 years, though, the next decade, by 2020, by 2031, we will have that technology fully flushed out and consumer ready. So 10%, I think, is a good estimate. I think it's possible that in the next 10 years, we'll have a 10 to 15% adoption in the in the Western world, at least, uh, with, with VR. Now, the other stuff like the, you know, designing experiences across different platforms, like because there's Steam VR and there's Oculus VR and all that. I think the benefit here actually does, like there is a benefit to JavaScript on this because those platforms are guaranteed to have browsers that run JavaScript. And the experiences that you build for one will be the same for the other because they're going to be running on the same engine. So I think that uh, will be- Ish, ish. What if like, what if one's running Chromium and the other one's running Firefox? Uh, they're still running the same V8 engine. The only right, difference between right. Chromium, Firefox, and uh, Safari right now is their support of APIs, essentially. So as long as they support WebVR, which is the standard API that's being built into uh, like Web, the, the EMCA script or whatever, right? then they would have the same support across board. Because another thing too is is to consider is the the inputs and the orientation. I think that like your orientation meaning like you're sitting at a desk and you're ARing digital uh, monitors, or are you wandering around a room with an AR window in front of you like a headset, like a Hololens type of deal, or are you in a gaming headset and sitting again sitting at a desk using mouse and keyboard, or are you in a gaming headset walking around the room with the motion controls, the the controllers that are like allow you to like pick stuff up and, you know, whatever in games and have like motion and point and click like that's going to be a whole different thing. Yeah, you'll have to figure out what you want to support. But for the most part, in my opinion, what's going to happen is you're just going to map certain things. Mm-hmm. that would happen on the mouse and keyboard to the controllers and that's that's the end of that right i just don't think people are going to pay for it i don't think it's i don't think it's necessarily going to be super super impossible or super difficult it'll probably be really hard in the beginning and it'll get easier and easier with like your experience but also the industry will make it easier and easier as we know there's different es versions that have come out but for javascript in general but i think the thing is is that i think that you're going to have to tell a client hey man like i'm going to have to buy a new headset for me to test your site now. So I'm going to need like, I'm going to need <laughs> like, I'm going to need 30 grand. Like I, I, I honestly, I, I stand behind that number as a so, shoot from the hip number. So for, for the beginning, like, yes, to, to test the full experience. Yes, you do need a headset. Um, but for the initial development, you can actually do it in a uh, simulator, like a VR simulator. Sure. So there's that. Like you could do that if you don't want to buy a headset. And the headsets will come down in price. Like the Oculus headset, uh, I think starts at three fifth, three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So it is. It is kind of like a f- affordable at this point. And it's only gonna. I don't know if it's only gonna get more affordable or not. But if as long as it stays at that four hundred dollar mark, it's like you know it's cheap in relative terms to like having four monitors or three monitors or whatever. I think that's where it has to be to be a productivity tool. And for it to be fully supported, it has to be a productivity tool because that's what we need for the JavaScript side. So, like, I think, again, we're not there yet, but I think it is going to be a thing. 
And I think some clients are will be willing to pay for some really interesting experiences. It's not going to be most. It's going to be far from most because like mm-hmm. you said, it's going to be way more difficult to build an AR website or a VR website, um, if, especially if you want to do like full room mapping or any sort of re- – like really anything, period, essentially. Over, overhead alone. Yes. Just building it like it's going to be way more difficult than a regular website. So just that, like having to get like a 3D de- – like a 3D modeler essentially because you need to make 3D models in VR. Now, I will say, actually, sorry to interrupt, but like as a devil's advocate to myself and, and like as I think this is kind of where you're going is if you were to take a web app that like let's say right now you could use those des- like those interior design apps that allow you to like place like a couch in your room to see how it looks in like AR with a phone, like something like that on mobile makes a lot of, or on uh, on AR VR make a lot of sense. But JavaScript does have the advantage of running everywhere. So now that mobile app could actually be like a web view. You know what I mean? Like there is like a, like a conglomeration, a conglomerate. I don't know if that's the way to say it, but like there is like a because JavaScript's everywhere, as we've already said, like over and over again. So it's like it's possible that lower end, let's say web apps could become more easily VR AR'd because the, like the web can do the same thing as the mobile app is doing. And so it's a less it's a lesser investment because they're investing in one app, not two. If that makes sense, like they're not investing in the web app, like the interior design web app and the mobile phone AR web app. They're investing in one code base that does both. If yeah. that makes sense. No, that, may, that, that makes sense. And and like, yeah, th- those things will be a little bit easier to port over because you already have the 3D models and stuff done. But everything else, anytime you have to create the 3D models, is going to be a pain. It's still going to be a very niche thing. Like regular web development agencies for the next 10 years are not going to be dealing with VR stuff, in my opinion. It's going to be a very niche agency that specifically builds out VR experiences for like brands and stuff like that like nike or like lar- large companies that want to differentiate it's not going to be a mom and pop shop kind of thing for a very long time i would say like 20 years or 30 or whatever so um that's why i have it again at the end of my future of javascript thing here like i don't have i don't have anything else to say in the future of javascript i'm sure there's a lot more that i didn't talk about but those are the things that i kind of remembered and thought of uh, when I was doing this episode. Um, one thing I do want to leave you with before we leave is this uh, little tweet from D Thompson Dev at D Thompson Dev. Uh, really, really interesting developer on Twitter. If you want to go follow him, uh, Danny Thompson is his name. He kind of spells it out for me. And th- this is why JavaScript is the future because front end JavaScript. Backend, JavaScript, mobile development, JavaScript, desktop development, JavaScript, games development, JavaScript, and machine learning, JavaScript. All those things can be done with JavaScript. There's really no other language. Maybe you can say Flutter at this point or Dart can do some most of this, but really there's no other language that can do it across all those devices and do it well as well, well enough to work with many different multitudes of different kinds of applications. Uh, so that is why really... The future is JavaScript, and uh, that is the end of my statement, I guess, the end of this episode, unless you have anything else to add, Matt? No. I mean, um, I was actually worried in the beginning of the episode because we were flying through it that it was going to be like a, th- like a 14-minute episode, but it ended up uh, spawning some good conversations. So that's just about it, honestly. Uh, now, now, one thing I do want to say, uh, and this is more an episode logistic 
thing is uh, we are recording this early because we're trying to have like a week lead time because it's like I can edit it, but it's like I'm editing like super late into the night and then into the morning, like usually the night before we put it out. And so it's just a bit crazy. So we're trying to have an episode lead time. Now, the reason why I mentioned this is because our weekly growth goal is kind of broken this week <laughs> because I'm still on like the two weeks ago, kind of uh, like as of you listening to this, it's like the episode before this is weekly growth goal. I'm still on like physically. <laughs> so uh, I would say we'll probably skip the weekly growth goal this week and then we'll have that compensation where like It'll be invisible to the listener, but we will be like a week behind. But like, who really cares? You know, it doesn't really matter. Well, it won't be invisible to the listener. If you guys want to follow our weekly growth goals a week before we tell talk about them on the podcast, you can check out the weeklygrowthgoals.com application where oh, we will be posting it in VR. real time. Not available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not available in VR, but maybe at some point if everyone demands it. But anyway. Yeah, if you want to be kind of ahead of the curve and see what we're working on, you can definitely go there, weeklygrowthgoals.com. Uh, you can you don't have to make an account to see, but if you want to participate, you can make an account and kind of participate with us in the Weekly Growth Goals. So check it out and give that a go. Yeah, honestly, um, that's uh, that's a good way to kind of see what, see what we're up to in real time. But uh, I mean, Weekly Growth Goals segment will continue next week. Uh, and you'll be able to hear what we're doing. It'll just be, we'll just have a, a week lead time, uh, just an FYI to everyone out there. Also, I'd like to say that as of this episode going up, the HTML All The Things website will either be up or like really, really close. So it's done. Like the MVP is done. It's been done proper, like before, but uh, we're just, we're talking content now. We just want to kind of want to load the site up with some stuff so that like there's, you know, stuff to read. <laughs> so, so we're just doing the content now, but yeah, like finally finished finally finished a project it's just the mvp but yeah uh there there's there's that and also we have some exciting news for the community as well uh we will be announcing that in the discord and possibly on the next episode after this so episode 145 uh just depends on how quickly we get to it so it might actually even be later but uh yeah keep an uh, keep an eye on the discord we'll probably tag um at everybody uh i don't want to spam that but um it's kind of an exciting an announcement for anyone out there that's listening to this that's working on something that's like a public project on GitHub. We kind of have something that we want to do on this website that will give back. Uh, and we've talked about kind of hinted at it a few times on the, on the podcast, but we'll, uh, we'll touch on it more as we have uh, details. But uh, if that's all you got to say here, Mike, I think we can run the old conclusion. Yeah, do it up. Alrighty. So that uh, remember that if you want to support the show and support the site and all the rest of it, we're on that Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript, Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com, Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on SelfmadeWebDesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on TheWebHacker.com, DL Ford from DLFord.io, Bim Hashdash from Nineblock Media on NineBlockMedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio at GeekLifeRadio.com, and my document failed to load. Come on, second. There's one left. There's one left. There it is. <sighs> Would not scroll down. And Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All the Things Podcast. 
web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.